Welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter 22 of Northern Lights, Betrayal. I'm fiddling around with my knobs, Faye. Um, <laughs> on my, I'm adjusting my audio. Wow. <laughs> Hello. Wow. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I think. Yeah. I've well, we've we've established pre-podcast that I'm in a bit of an odd and grumpy mood today. Rich is a grumpus. I am. Some That's... might say I'm Mardi. Oh. <laughs> oh boy. What a word. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, no, for some reason I'm in an, in an odd one today, but it's fine. Um, we're all good. We'll soldier through. <laughs> How are you? I'm I'm fine. I was just going to say, like, I always wonder what to say in this bit now because... Nothing new has happened. My life hasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing that has changed since, I last, since we last did this, really. So... You I'm know fi- what yeah. will have happened? Mm, tell me. By the time the podcast comes out, but not right now when we're talking right now, Hamilton will have come out on the Disney Channel and we'll have watched it and it'll be glorious. Oh my God, I'm so excited. So people that don't live in the UK on the 4th of July, they are lessening our lockdown slightly so that two households can come together and like not have to socially distance and be in a house, imagine. So on Saturday, well, this is Saturday doesn't mean anything to you folks because whatever, we're recording this in advance, but... At the weekend, Rachel's going to come over and Johnny and we're going to watch Hamilton on Disney Plus and it's going to be so good and I'm so excited. I'm very excited for it. It's one of those things though where I'm like, so the government's lessened the restrictions, which I am dubious about because it's not exactly like the recurrence rate has dropped that much mm-hmm. and everyone is not struggling as much as it looks like the US is struggling, but there's still some people that definitely don't understand how face coverings work. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I'm a bit dubious about the actual safety of it, but also I know that you and Liam work from home and are very responsible people, so I think I'm safe coming to your house as long as we walk there, don't get public transport, and are clean bitches. But, like, yeah. lessening of lockdown restrictions, just it makes me feel really on edge and really anxious because, like, I know that it's more for economic reasons than it is for health reasons. Oh, totally. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the government does not give a flying fuck about us. They just want the money back, which is shit. Uh, but yeah, like you said, we're both pretty, we've both been really safe. Um, So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not about to have a fucking house party anytime soon or anything like that, but to have you guys over will be nice. I went to Clapham on Sunday to meet our friend Zach. Uh, to do like a little socially distanced walk around the park and like everything is open in Clapham like there's like um do you, know, you have like the pubs that are doing pints and stuff but like everything down Clapham High Street is open and there's so many people it's like nothing's changed it's so strange and I was like this is so weird it's like Peckham is busy but still nothing's open it's still just people queuing for like Lidl or the Butchers or whatever there, there's like rare, there's not really any pubs open or anything. I know that's going to change anyway soon. 
when they reopen. But yeah, going to Clapham, and I was like, why the fuck is just everything open and just everyone acting like nothing is happening? It's It was so weird. Did you hear about um, one of the parks had to close and they had to like coordinate off because it was overcrowded, but also because it was unsanitary because there was too much human defecation occurring. And, what like, the fuck? There's too many people pooping in the bushes. Oh my God, what? <laughs> I'm so sorry, podcast listeners. We might have to cut this out because it's too gross. Why would but, you poop in the bush? I don't, I don't know, but like, I guess there's people being like, it's been a gloriously sunny weekend. Let's go and like hang out in the park. Oh, there's no public toilets. There's no public, like there's no pubs or anything open yet to actually use the bathrooms anywhere and like they've walked for too far to like go home to use the loo so they're just pooping in the bushes ew that's fucking vile yeah so no wonder the parks have had to some of the parks have had to close it's so weird (laughs) why right i've got ibs i know what it's like to need a poo and you need a poo if you can hold a poo just hold it why would you think (laughs) i need to go and shit in a bush (laughs) yeah Maybe consider the options before you decide to spend the full day in a park. Have a poo before you go out if you're going to spend the full day in the park. (laughs) I'm so sorry, Uh, podcast listeners. What is this podcast? You did not expect to tune into this. (laughs) (laughs) Horrifying and bemusing. Also, a thing that's really got my goat at the moment and feeling indignant for the people affected is... They've decided to like reopen like shops and pubs and hairdressers, mm-hmm. but they're not letting salons and tattoo parlors open. Yeah. Even though there's loads of people who like run salons and stuff, they're like, oh, we were put into the impression that we were going to be able to open. And they have like like nail bars and stuff. They've set up like really great screens. So like the only thing that's making contact is your hands when you're getting your manicure done and like it's all sanitized and like tattoo shops their whole thing is they have to pass tests like every six months to a year to show how they are following all of these sanitary guidelines just to function as a premises anyway. And Mm -hmm. loads of people have invested in like making them as safe as possible. And like, they're not allowed to open, but the hairdressers are allowed to open. And that's somebody that's just physically touching your head with their hands the whole time you're there. (laughs) Yeah, that is weird. Also, I, I completely hear what you're saying about tattoo parlors and they are the cleanest places, but just I just don't think I would want to get a tattoo right now with everything happening. Like, just think of like, I think mostly as well for like when it's healing and stuff. Mm. I, I don't, I'm like, I'm, I don't, COVID can't be transferred that way, but I, I just feel no, like- No, it's a respiratory thing. It. Yeah. So like, it's kind of got nothing to do with that. But also like, I know what you mean, like when everyone's being very, very like conscious of that. Yeah. But yeah, it, it does suck. I don't understand why they're opening hairdressers when, like you said, that is literally someone touching your head and also being super close to your face because, like, if they're cutting your hair, people are fucking breathing all over them. You can't wear a mask while you're getting your hair cut. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. Who knows? It's just, it's just, it's weird times when things are being, like, lifted in different ways and um, it just makes you feel really uncertain. I'm just bloody sick of it now, though, aren't you? <laughs> Just to be, like, completely honest. Part of me is like, I just want to go back to normal. Yeah. But also, it's that's just not an option. So I'd rather be, like, in full lockdown and everyone being, like, as safe as possible to, like, completely stamp it out and, like, just stop all the deaths and all the people getting sick. 
or be back to normal and there's no virus whatsoever and let's pretend like you can't you can't just go back to normal and be like oh it's all normal again when there's still the virus is still happening did you did you see that Leicester got placed back on full lockdown yeah sorry if you're listening in Leicester we feel for you apparently Doncaster might do and that's what happens when you open stuff up too soon though like it's probably not people's fault it's probably just a bit soon because our lockdown restrictions were never super great and people it was really easy to define them so like I'm pretty sure our curve is not as flat as it should be or whatever the flat and the curve thing was supposed to be like yeah yeah. I'm just exhausted like from it I'm sure everyone is I'm just like god when the fuck will it end just like please fucking save me from this hell Oh, what a bright and cheery yeah. podcast we are. That was a fun, not very coherent conversation, wasn't it? God damn. Okay. So, you know how we bloody love an email? Oh, we bloody do. We've had two whole emails. Oh my God. It's very how exciting. exciting. The first email is from Imogen or Imo. Imo? Imo? She signed off her email with Imma, so let's go with Imma. Hi, Imma. Um, Imo pointed out some similarities that they noticed between the two episodes ago when we were discussing the big bear fight and the epic similes that were being used, comparing Yorick and Yoffa to like rocks plunging down a mountainside or great waves building. And um, Imo noticed that these are very, very similar to a lot of the epic similes used in Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, um, Mm -hmm. which are like some of the classic like myths and mythology that you will recognize as like greek myths yeah they sent over some like really really great paragraphs of big long text that were really you could really see the similarities between the two texts but i'm not going to read them all out because they are quite long but anyone with a love of like greek mythology and stuff might recognize or a a love of like the iliad and the odyssey might recognize these um epic similes mm-hmm. yeah Emma was wondering like oh is it something that Philip we think that Philip was referencing specifically or is it just like an interesting comparison I would say I think he I 100% think that he's read the Iliad and the Odyssey yeah and it's such an epic thing so like when it's when those similes are used in the Iliad and the Odyssey it's often with like bit large battles and it refers to like waves of troops moving like waves um or like rocks falling like the is yeah. to do with like the powerfulness of soldiers in battle or these different things and i do think that this is the biggest fight scene or the most epic fight scene that yeah. we see in the northern lights is between yorick and yoffa like i know that there's a fight at the end of bolvanger mm-hmm. but it's not quite the same as the epicness of this yeah i I, and the i think it's more it's more epic because it's like one-on-one combat isn't it between two bears but yeah i wouldn't be surprised at all if if um our phil was uh referencing or inspired by um the odyssey i think that it makes sense for him um we've kind of called out his like old school language before so like i wouldn't like be surprised if that's something that he draws from. And it's really nice as well. I bloody love a good simile and a metaphor. Yeah, I definitely think it was probably a big part of his education, I imagine, as well. Because mm. he studied at Oxford and... Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's those kinds of like classic texts that get referred to a lot. And I wonder if it's that kind of thing that also just seats the yeah. idea of like 
comparing a battle to this like force of nature especially as like the bears themselves can be seen as like a force of nature yeah and i wonder as well whether he did it on purpose it might just have been like in his brain like rattling around and when he was thinking about these fights he might have just thought of like waves or like the mountains and thought great and then not even realized that it compared to to this so yeah love it wherever it came from i bloody love it and thank you thank you emma we love an email we do we bloody love an email email. our second email for the week is from lo hi lo hi lo thank you for teaching us how to pronounce things and and posting a picture of your wonderful cat we appreciate yes So not only has Lo emailed us, but Lo has also tweeted us when we mentioned that they would let us know how we thought the bear's name should be pronounced. And it was very useful. I suggest you pop along to our Twitter to find that video because I'm not even going to try to repronounce. Yeah, we retweeted it. Described to us. It was, yeah, I my mouth doesn't make those sounds. <laughs> um, but Lo also emailed us about... Um, their copies of the Northern Lights and of La Belle Sauvage. We obviously don't do spoilers in this podcast. This is not particularly spoilery. It's just to do with like the, the translation because mm-hmm. we also love differences between texts. Yes. So Lo noticed that in their copy of the Northern Lights, the way that the Egyptians are referred to or the way that that has been translated is different to the way it is translated in La Belle Sauvage. In the original trilogy, the translation is more similar to the Swedish slur that is similar to the English slur that you might think that Egyptian is derived from in yeah. England, if that makes sense. I don't want to repeat the slur because no, 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 definitely. There's not. no point in that. Um, but in La Belle Sauvage, the word, the translation is more similar to the Swedish word for Egyptian. Mm. so it makes the interpretations quite different because one of them is like more of like places people geographically yeah or places they're like um cultural heritage geographically yeah and then one of them places their cultural heritage in like a different way or like yeah it's interesting (laughs) i don't know if i explained that very well (laughs) yeah i think that's really interesting and i wonder if it was a conscious choice because the in the original trilogy, the word used was like that slur that we mentioned for Roma people. And I wonder if in La Belle Sauvage, because it's a newer book, they thought, actually, let's change that so that it's not so close to the slur. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to think it was a conscious decision. To, but also, because um, Lo said that it's more like, um, the interpretation in La Belle Sauvage is more like a, Swedishization of the word Egyptian. Mm-hmm. So it's more like they've just changed it ever so slightly for the translation rather than like completely changing the derivation of the word, I guess, which is interesting. Because I think the choice to change it to the Swedish version of the slur is a real, like, that's a decision right there because you've made oh, yeah. up the name of these people. Like, you could have just kept calling them Egyptians. Like, you've not changed Lyra's name in the book. Yeah. You've not changed people's family names in the book. Why would you need to change the name of this made up? people to match the slur in that culture it seems like a really weird decision for the translation true so i i think it was probably a much more switched on modern person doing the translation yeah (laughs) Yeah. times have changed between translating the (laughs) the original trilogy in 95 or whenever it probably got translated to 
translating La Belle Sauvage now. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. True. In the way that people would approach that language. <laughs> true, true. But yeah, that's really super, super interesting. And I encourage you all to email us with whatever. Because yes. I fucking love an email. Also, I'm going to apologise here, though, for the fact that I didn't attempt to <laughs> read out the words that you've written for the translation, because I just... There's a, there's a lot of Zs in them. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I can... Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I can't work out how to say the things. <laughs> it's fine. I don't think... Yeah, I don't think Lo expects anything of us around trying to pronounce things anymore, so... <laughs> I think <laughs> we're we're a lost cause. I think that I think they will forgive us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. If anyone else has any thoughts on things that they found in the books, we love an email. We bloody love an email. We are currently on the hunt for Lord Asriel fans, Lord Asriel mm-hmm. stands, Lord Asriel supporters, because we'd love to have a conversation with somebody that is pro Asriel at this point after how angry we were last week (laughs) oh my god we were so angry we actually got a tweet from our listener his twitter name is serendipity and he has tweeted us a number of times and he's listened to us from the beginning and hi hello thank you for contacting us we appreciate you and he has called us out before on being asriel haters and he tweeted us saying uh, i have some thoughts on asriel for you and i will email you them so we are waiting on that and we are excited for that (laughs) yes but yeah any more thoughts on Asriel or just anything in general as we get come to the end of of Northern Lights um yeah give us a shout we're always happy to hear everybody's thoughts oh my god we're so close to the end of the book so close to the end so close to the end and Rachel and I were saying before we started recording we kind of need to figure out our schedule and stuff but once we know like what's gonna happen like what other episodes we're gonna do around the end of the Northern Lights We'll let you know. Hopefully, in the next episode, we'll we'll be more uh, be more together and be able to tell you a schedule of sorts. Because we're, <laughs> as we mentioned, we are going to take a little break between the books, at least. Uh, but we'll probably still do some stuff in between for our patrons and things like that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of patrons, the patron Discord is still going strong, Yay. and I will take a photo to post on the Discord now. Yay! Oh, demon. What's your demon this week? Oh my god, you asked me. <laughs> this, this is not the order of things. I'm sorry. My, Jumping in. My demon this week. Well, it was totally... So I had something written down. And then I started talking to you and realised I was really grumpy. So maybe it's just a house cat again. But I'm going to tell you what I had written down for this week. I have chosen that this week my demon would have been a red panda. Oh. The reason for this being a really weird specific fact, which is red pandas are only comfortable at temperatures ranging from 17 to 25 degrees C. <laughs> when cold, red pandas curl its ta- uh, the red panda curls its tail over its face to conserve heat. When hot, it stretches on a branch and dangles its legs off to cool down. Aww. And I just thought, you know what? I'm only comfortable at temperatures from... 17 to 25 degrees c as well yeah when it's too cold i am miserable when it's too hot i am miserable i am red panda i would (laughs) i would even err on the side of 25 degrees being too hot for me (laughs) mine would maybe yeah mine would be from maybe 14 to 23 degrees i feel 
That would be mine. Well, I'll have to look up what animal is only comfortable at 14 <laughs> to 23 do. degrees for you. <laughs> I just love that it's such a specific temperature range. <laughs> also, red pandas are cute as fuck. Yeah, they are super cute. So cute. What would your demon be? Ah, um, I, I think I might have done this before, so not particularly inventive, but I've been like super, I've been a bit bored recently and I've been a bit restless um and i've just been, had lots of like energy so i feel like a little hamster i feel like i need a little like wheel in my oh, in my yeah. flat to just walk on because i need yeah i'm just a bit like ugh. like i said earlier about being exhausted i think i'm also just bored of lockdown now i'm just like uh sick of doing the same shit every day and every night let mm. me out let me out <laughs> have you watched that eurovision film yet mm-hmm there's a bit with a hamster wheel in that that I think is probably not the funniest moment of the film, but that's just what it made me think of when you said you wanted a giant hamster wheel. Last chapter, Yorick and the bears took Lyra and Roger to Asriel's house. Asriel was not impressed to see Lyra at first, and Roger sensed a sinister vibe. Asriel was a dick to Lyra, classic, but finally told her all about Dust and his plans to cross over to the city in the Aurora. In this chapter, Lyra is working by Thorold to find Roger has been taken by Asriel. Lyra, Yorick and the bears go after Asriel. They are caught halfway there in a fight with some witches and an airship. Yorick takes Lyra as close as he can to Asriel while the bears continue to fight. They reach a bridge that Yorick cannot cross and Lyra is left to continue alone. Okay. Oh my gosh, what a chapter. How nice to have a short and sweet chapter thing. <laughs> I know, yeah. I enjoyed having a little short chapter. It's It's been a lot recently. Also, <laughs> our friends at the Dark Material podcast messaged us on Twitter and they were like, good luck for the first couple of chapters of The Subtle Knife because they're so long. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think this is the shortest set of notes I've ever had. Yeah, right? I think it's because this chapter is very much we're moving from one place to another and not that much is happening. It's like Lyra's woken up, the shit has hit the fan, but currently she's running towards the, the shit that's on the fan. She's not quite reached it yet. So like we know that the, she's been informed that the shit has hit the fan. She's just like running to the room in which she knows that has happened. Yeah. She, like it's how does she get there? We should just end it there. Yeah. End of chapter. End of episode. Yeah. End of episode. The shit has hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <sighs> So, Lyra wakes up in the most stressful way possible, which is being shaken by a man she doesn't know very well. Oh my god. Basically, he wakes her up saying, Miss, miss, get up quickly. I don't know what to do. He's left no orders. I think he's mad, miss. And Lyra's like, what the fuck is happening? Because she has literally just been shaken awake. Yeah. Basically, Asriel has been in an absolute frenzy since Lyra went to bed. He's packed up all of his instruments on the sledge and he's left and he's taken Roger. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's taken Roger. Yeah. Yeah. So Lyra's been shaken awake and told that her best friend's been stolen by her scary dad. Great. What a nice way to wake up. I have no idea what, how I would react in that situation. Like, that is the scariest thing in the world. A, to be shaken awake. Nobody needs to be shaken awake. No, thank you. No. But then also to be launched into the middle of this thing. Like, you've just spent the whole book going to rescue your best friend. And mm-hmm. then you wake up and you find out your dad's like whisked him away oh i know definitely for something sinister and also wouldn't you just be like for fuck's sake can i not have a fucking minute like just let me rest right she's probably not even had a full night's sleep (laughs) 
<laughs> God, why can't I just have a bit of fucking sleep? Oh, I feel you. I fucking yeah. feel it. <laughs> I'm so I'm so mad for her. I'm just like, oh my god. Obviously, yes, we want to rescue Roger, but Jesus Christ, give me a minute. Let yeah. me have a minute. Thorold basically confirms what we had kind of dreaded. Yeah, and he says, um, you know how when Asriel opened the door and he seemed shocked to see you, and then less shocked. It's because he needed a child to finish his experiment. Mm-hmm. And then he says something really odd, which is interesting. He says, and Lord Asriel has a special way of bringing about what he wants. He just has to call for something. And that's interesting, isn't it? Hmm. I could. I just kind of took that to mean that he just gets what he wants. Because like we learned in the other chapters that like he is really good at uh, like coercing people around into his way of thinking and like sending off the people and like manipulating people. So I just assumed it was referring to that. But also, like, it's, I always feel like it's more implying, like, a more, like, fate-based thing. Or, like, it almost seems a bit more supernatural than that. Because, like, Asriel did not know Lyra was coming. He we, he knew he needed a child for his experiment. But I assume, like, it's not like Yoffa or the bears were sorting that out for him and delivering someone to him. He just, like, it's like, um, what's it called? Is it The Wish? In Buffy. I just no. think about Buffy, he said the way. No, they're like the thing where like you, you say what you want and the world will manifest it for you. But I thought that he'd sent for a child because he was like, I did not send for you. I did not send for you. And like I'm sure that the, in the last chapter they were talking about sending for a child. Maybe. Because does that mean, so Lyra is about to like run out and leave. And does that mean that at some point, Azriel's gone, Lyra's gone, everyone's gone, and some kid's just going to rock up at this house and get delivered and be like, <laughs> yeah. what am I doing here? Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, like, maybe. Oh. <laughs> he's just accepted the wrong parcel. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Because, yeah, I, I feel like it's some kind of, he seems to just get what he wants in a way that's a little bit more int- intertwined with fate and some kind of strange aspect of him being this like big figure in like the mechanics of the world Mm. i think that's perfectly valid that that like that doesn't surprise me if that would if that's the case because asriel's destiny is entwined with lyra's and we know that a lot of the things that happen into lyra are based on fate so i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the stuff that for asriel is also based on fate yeah Anyway, I can't find anything in that chapter because I'm not looking properly, but the, just the bit where it says I did not send for you. That just, to me, I assumed that he'd sent for a child and was shocked when he got Lyra instead of another child. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows? I have a note, which is just this paragraph in capital letters. So I'm going to read you the next paragraph. Okay. After Lyra has found out um, that it is Roger who has been taken. She had got out of bed and was reaching for her clothes and then suddenly she collapsed and a fierce cry of despair enveloped her. She was uttering it, but it was bigger than she was. It felt as if the despair were uttering her for she remembered his words. The energy that links the body and demon is immensely powerful and to bridge the gap between the worlds, he needed a phenomenal burst of energy. She had just realised what she'd done. Oh. I just... 
So I've recently just watched um, Hereditary and Midsummer, mm-hmm. and the just the way that that the description of the fact that she has just collapsed in despair and this fierce cry is like uttering out of her and it's so big that it's almost as if the despair is uttering her and not the other way around. It just makes me think of the scenes of grief in those two films. Yeah. In which like yeah. the 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 mother in Hereditary, there's like a whole like minute worth of her just like wailing. And it's, it's, it's the same in Midsommar towards the at the beginning. And there's quite a few points in it actually where the, the main character is just so overwhelmed by this like guttural sound that's coming out of them yeah that there's something really cathartic about it and i just kind of immediately that sprang to my head when i read that mm-hmm. and it just feeling so overwhelmed by the despair is just heartbreaking because also lyra's so small as well yeah totally totally it is heartbreaking and I think that we should all drink now every time we mention Midsummer. But I am going to mention it again because I think that the portrayal of grief in Midsummer, especially, especially at the beginning, like you mentioned, is so powerful. It's one of the most powerful portrayals of grief I've ever seen. And it like runs throughout the film. Yeah. But like the right at the beginning, it's brutal. It's brutal. Um, and just like Lyra feeling all these feelings is heartbreaking like we said and also there's a bit before this paragraph where it says now Lyra's head was full of a roar as if she were trying to stifle some knowledge from her consciousness and that really resonated with me because I've definitely been to a place where I know something about I don't know like I know something about myself but I don't want to admit it or like I know that something's coming and I don't want to like admit to that knowledge in my head and I think that's a really like powerful image of Lyra she knows this thing she knows it she's going to collapse in a second because she knows it but she's trying her hardest to like not let it enter her consciousness and not let it be there and I, yeah I can I can relate to that and I think it's I think it's one of the other things that can come with grief right you don't want that thing to be true but it is and there's no escape from it mm. also I think it's worth mentioning this chapter is called betrayal mm-hmm in chapter two, it was predicted that Lyra would betray someone. Is this the moment that it's referring to? And is that why this chapter is called Betrayal? Because it's the moment she realises that she's done that? Because also, I it's obviously not a conscious betrayal, but I'm sure she feels that guilt. Uh, the bitter anguish she had thought she was saving Roger and all the time she'd been dilig- diligently working to betray him. Oh, it's just so hard. She's so, she's, she's so small. She shouldn't have to know what betrayal is at such a young age. Also, it's quite fucking like brutal that a child has to betray like one of the pe- the only people that she loves in her entire life without even fucking knowing that she was doing it mm. like it's so much more horrendous to betray someone and have no idea that you're about to do it than to purposely betray someone definitely I want to call out for- Thorold a lot in this chapter mm-hmm. because she is in this like frenzy of emotion and Thorold is trying to comfort her but he doesn't know the reason for the extremity of her grief yeah is that to imply that he doesn't like he knows that Asriel needs a child for his experiment but does he not I guess he hasn't really seen the results of what indecision looks like and he doesn't necessarily and he doesn't necessarily know that she's blaming herself for that or that she knows about all of these things I was just gonna say do we know that Thorold knows anything 
Like from what we've seen, I it it doesn't sound like he knows much, right? He said that he knew that Asriel needed a child to finish the experiment. Yeah, like he doesn't know why. why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the thing I don't know. But he I I'm not a fan of the way that his actions are described throughout this chapter because he Lyra demands that he help her to dress so that she can get outside and go. And um it's very much like he he put the lamp down and did, did as she told him when she commanded in that imperious way. She was very like her father. And all that he seems to do, aside from waking Lyra up, like that's the only good thing he's done, basically. And then he's just doing what he's told. And it's this really, really odd way of describing him as this like loyal servant, which is what's supposed to be a good thing when the person that you're being loyal to is doing something quite horrible. Mm. He It's like... He doesn't know why Azrael needs a child. Is he not paying attention to the experiments Azrael is doing? Is he not? Is he following blindly? Because I'm not okay with it if he's just following this man that is clearly quite bad. Blindly. But then we don't know. I f- see. I land on the other side because I I feel sorry for him. I think that he like he works for Azrael. I think he knows the way that I've interpreted it, interpreted it is that he knows the bare bones of what's happening, but. I don't think that he knows everything. And I think that he's trying his best to help Lyra, but he doesn't understand what's happening. And he's like been living with Azriel in this fucking horrible, well, this beautiful slash horrible house for however long and doing all this stuff for Azriel. And then all of a sudden these two children turn up and he's like, what the fuck? And he's trying his best, but I don't think he knows what's happening. Yeah. Okay, I just don't. I feel like he, he's been hanging out with Azriel in this fortress for how long, and does, and claims to not know what's happening. I can't necessarily excuse that he doesn't know, and also that he saw Azriel taking this child, like Thorold dressed Roger to send him to Azriel because Azriel demanded him. Like I kind of, there's points at which I feel like thorold ought to have i mean i'm sure Azrael would have just taken roger anyway mm. no i he's like assisted in, in yeah. giving roger to Azrael. i i like yeah i completely see that but i also just think that thorold has been serving Azrael for so many years and that's all he knows that's his entire life so he will just do what Azrael tells him to do because that's what he does and i know that that's not a reason to be like cool he can do whatever shitty things he wants because he doesn't know any better but i do kind of feel for him and him waking lyra up as well is kind of his way of being like shit i know that something's going on now and i need to kind of help it help lyra a little bit and i kind of see that as him being like as him reaching out to lyra to try and help with the situation but i see what you mean because like he could have been like he could have been brainwashed by Azrael completely and he's just doing Azrael's bidding forever without ever thinking about the consequences of what he's doing. And I definitely do see your point, but I think there is like another side to it as well where Thorold He's doing the right thing now. He's trying <laughs> to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's trying. I'm not saying he's doing it very well, but like I don't think that there's I don't think he's doing anything to be deliberately malicious. He's just following, isn't he? He's just a follower. That's what he's doing. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying that's a good thing. But I do have a little bit, I think I just have a little bit of empathy for him. Yeah, he doesn't help, he, in the power dynamics that exist, he is not in possession of a lot of power. Um, yeah, 
yeah, I think that's a, that's the reason why I have the empathy for him as well. Lyra runs out. She gets all buttoned up and she, she runs outside and the tears on her face and her throat freeze because it's so cold outside and she shouts for Yorick who's just been sleeping in the snow by the doorstep and she doesn't see him initially and that's because there's just snow over him and he like shakes his snow off and because he was just a big mound of snow and oh Yorick you're so lovely I love that he's just like well (laughs) and (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's so great Lyra just straight away is like we've got to go get Lord Asriel he's taken Roger and she can't get the sentence out because she's so upset. She's like, we need to go. She calls him my dear again, which I don't know if you're a fan of it or not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Never. Um, and he's just like, come on then. And she jumps on his back and they just go, which I really love. Yorick is like, yeah. no nonsense. All he sees is that she's distressed. She needs to follow Asriel. And he's like, yes, I'm here for you. Yeah, totally. I also like to think that maybe he has a little bit of love for Roger now as well. And that's why he was like, let's go. Like, yeah, he loves Lyra and Roger. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, they head off and there's like sledge tracks that Asriel has left. So they're following them. And then it says he's running faster than he ever had before. And then that's when I was like, oh, does Yorick love Roger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then there's other bears following, pulling the fire hurler with them, which must be fucking awkward to like try and run and follow and then fucking lug that thing behind them. Yeah. But we find out later that it's a good fucking job that they did take it with them in fairness, but it must be super ox. I guess they knew that Coulter was coming, right, to get Asriel, so they knew that they might have some kind of a conflict because it is quite good for forethinking to mm. make sure that you bring the fire hurler with you. Yeah. Good planning, bears. <laughs> yeah. But we know Yorick, he's, 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 a, he's yeah. a clever guy. He knows what's going down. Also, this is uh, this whole bit with the bears and the fire hurler and the zeppelin when it was happening in the tv show i was like i'm sure it doesn't happen this way in the book it totally happens this way in the book and i completely forgot about basically this whole chapter (laughs) i did as well because the bit at the end where she's walking across the bridge i was like when the tv show i was like i don't think that happens in the book it's a bit too on the nose and i was like oh yeah there it is in the book (laughs) yeah (laughs) so lyra thinks that she can see something on one of the highest mountain peaks and pan turns into an owl and flies up to have a look and it's Asriel. So they are following him and tracking him. And he clearly has a child on his sledge. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Roger. Oh, boy. Yorick slows down because something has caught his attention and then Lyra starts to hear a faint rustling and cracking. And it was the sound of the aurora. Yeah, the aurora just like crackles into being, which I really love the description of it. Yeah. It was a sound she had never heard before, the sound of the aurora. Out of nowhere, a veil of radiance had fallen to hang, shimmering in the northern sky. All those unseen billions and trillions of charged particles, and possibly, she thought, of dust, conjured a radiating glow out of the upper atmosphere. This was going to be a display more brilliant and extraordinary than any Lyra had yet seen, as if the aurora knew the drama that was taking place below and wanted to light it with the most awe-inspiring effects. And also, I just love the thought of like the the Aurora is a messy bitch that yeah, makes yeah. The drama. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> She's like, "Oh, girl, what's happening? <laughs> oh, there's some drama. Let's light it up." <laughs> yes. Also, like, there's drama. What this needs is disco lights. Yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> All I can think is like when um they were doing the Aurora lights in the TV show at the end. It it just felt like disco lights, definitely. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, I fucking love that. What a messy bitch that Aurora is. She, she lives for the drama. For the drama. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But it's not the Aurora that the bears have noticed. Lyra can like feel the hum of the Aurora, but it's clearly something else that sparked the bears' attention. And um, as they look out across the plane, they just carry on looking at the Aurora some more. Um, which, <laughs> so I'm going to read a second Aurora description because it's pretty. And then yeah. I'll tell you why the bears' interest was okay. piqued. <laughs> also, oh my God. Oh, has that just happened now? Yeah, I've been reading. And then I was like, why is this page like out of line? It's just out. Oh no. You... Listeners, <laughs> R.I.P. my book. A page has fallen out of it. Oh, it's so battered. <laughs> I'm so ashamed. Oh, no. Oh, my oh. poor book. So, <clears throat> the aurora grew more intense. The first veils trembled and raced to one side and jagged curtains folded and unfolded above, increasing in size and brilliance every minute. Arcs and loops swirled across from horizon to horizon and touched the very zenith with boughs of radiance. She could hear more clearly than ever the immense singing hiss and swish of the vast intangible forces. <gasps> and then one of the bears is like, witches! <laughs> and Lyra turns around like happy, like, yay, witches! But then she gets knocked over because it's bad witches bad that witches. have come to fight them. And mm. she almost gets shot with an arrow, but then doesn't. And then she's all shocked because she's really surprised that witches could be bad but we've had this conversation witches can have political leanings in whichever direction they choose different clans yeah. have different priorities the consul explained this to us very clearly yeah but i think it's one of those things isn't it isn't it like lyra's probably like i've only met this one group of witches so in my brain even though i know that bad witches exist i've only met one group so they're all good to me yeah until you actually see them and get it's hit like- by an arrow Witches that might want to kill me. Ugh, no such thing. Yeah. No, Lyra. They <laughs> would never want that for me. <laughs> so now we get to find out about bears and witches and how they fight. Mm-hmm. Because the bears had clearly fought witches before. And so the witches shoot with arrows, but they seem to... The, their technique for fighting is that they swoop as low as possible to shoot the arrow... Yeah. To get like as close a shot as possible and then swoop back up. But the point at which they're in the lowest arc of that swoop, they are holding their bow and arrow and therefore are vulnerable to the bears leaping up to grab them. So whilst the witches do take out a few bears with arrows, the bears take out a few witches by like leaping up and grabbing Grabbing them out of the air. Yeah. Which is very brutal. But also like it seems like the easiest thing for the witches would be to not swoop down and to just fire less powerfully from further away and be safe (laughs) yeah or just find other ways to fight other than using a bow and arrow yeah like there are other weapons out there that you can like we're about to find out (laughs) yes um but yeah so some of the witches turn back and lyra's like oh good they've gone away but no they come back with reinforcements obviously yeah and um in with this second batch of witches is a zeppelin Mm -hmm. with mrs coulter and her troops on board so i can't remember we might have had a description before in the book but what do you think a zeppelin looks like so i picture those like big blimps that they had in the tv series you know the big like metal blimpy type things so the yeah like the big 
balloon, like torpedo shaped yeah. balloon yeah, yeah, of yeah. that's either like fabric covered or metal in the TV show it's metal covered, isn't it? But I think they've described this as very much canvassy. Um so like fabric covered and then yeah, like a little boat that hangs underneath it or oh, is like yeah. attached underneath it. I'm thinking also like Kiki's delivery service, the Zeppelin that they have in that. Yeah. Yeah. Not really something that you want to get into a fight while you're in because they're like super big and slow. But I suppose that's why they've put the little torpedo-y thing on it. Yeah. They also just don't appear to have any other form of air travel mm. in this. Like I've, we've, they've not mentioned any other kinds of... Um, the aerodocks, when they are mentioned, are very much to do with like Zeppelin transport or balloon transport. So it seems like their main form of air travel appears to be that because we haven't heard mention of anything like airplanes or helicopters or anything. That's true. That's true. So, so if it's your only option to do a little sky fight, then yeah. Zeppelin away, friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the bears unload and set up their fire hurler and the witches see this and like rain arrows down on them. Um, but as you mentioned, like the bear's armor protects them and the bear start using the fire hurler. And I put a little sticker on it because it kind of just sounds like a big screen, uh, a big um, slingshot, right? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Like a, yeah. I'm imagining like a medieval style one that they'd use to hurl like boulders or like, yeah. Yeah. yeah like like an a- the rings. rather than like pulling back like elastic, it's like an actual arm that you'd put like some fire in and then fling that back and let it let it fly i was saying like i enjoy that when they're describing the fire hurler they're not like oh they put in like a flammable rock or a flammable liquid set it on fire and fling that they just scoop fire into the bowl and then <laughs> set it off yeah and it's like the f- fire of what <laughs> yeah i guess it's like the fire powder or whatever but the way that it's worded is just like these bears are just it's like they're like firebenders from avatar tla or something <laughs> like they just controlling picking this up fire, fire in some yeah. way picking yeah. up fire and throwing it yeah so uh they hit some witches um when they <clears throat> fling the first shot of the fire hurler and uh the bears the, they're aiming for the zeppelin basically so mm-hmm. the pilot just flies straight towards the bears <laughs> like they've got like they're just like whatever fuck it let's do it just go straight towards them <laughs> yeah that um, is a bad decision, pilot. Yeah, yeah. And so, that, like we mentioned, the Zeppelin's also got a weapon, a machine rifle on the nose of the gondola. And Lyra sees sparks coming off the bear's armor and she's like really scared. But then Yorick says to her, look, they're safe. They've got their, they've got their armor. Don't you worry. And they, get, uh, they fire the fire hurler and it hits the gondola. But before it dies a little death, it takes out two bears. No. R.I.P. bears. Yeah. And then the bears shoot with a fire hurler again, and this time it hits the Zeppelin's gas bag, and it explodes. Oh, boy. Zeppelins are not super great as a thing to use in a fight, like you said, because the moment somebody is able to, like, create a spark or throw fire or anything at you or, like, break the gas bag, like, it's a very fallible form of... It's fighting like, transport it's like flimsy as fuck if it's like canvasy and also it's got a visible gas bag that you can shoot fire at it's... and is filled with flammable yeah like flammable gas it's, <laughs> it's just it is yeah it's very flimsy i feel like they need to rethink their strategy yeah but although they might not have been expecting to get 
attacked while they were still in the Zeppelin. But even so, you're, you're going into a battle that you know is going to be a battle, surely you would think mm. more about how you're travelling there. So the Zeppelin crashes down, but the soldiers on board seem to be surprisingly okay. I think it was quite a slow crash. Um, and whilst they can't spot Mrs. Coulter, they know she's there. Like Lyra can like sense that she's there. And um, the witches then help to like drag out the machine gun and stuff and set it up. So now the entire battle is occurring predominantly from the ground. So the people, Coulter and her regiment of Tartars are fighting from the ground against the bears. And Yorick is like, he knows, he knows where they're going. He's like, he's not getting distracted by this battle. He's like, let's go. My bears have got this covered. They'll hold everyone back and we need to get on the road. And so Lyra hops back up and they head on out, which is great. I love Yorick. He's so like on task. Yes. He is. But I, I, there's a bit that says that he's obviously doing what he can for Lyra, but I feel like part of him was like itching to be there with his bears to make sure that they were okay. But he knows that it's more important to protect Lyra. Yeah, it says Lyra could feel his desire to be there among them, but all the time her nerves were screaming, on, on, and her mind was filled with pictures of Lord Asriel and Roger. And y- Yorick's like, I've got I've to gotta help my girl. They're, fo- they're still following the sledge tracks, and Lyra has like a weird moment. It says, she felt she was leaving the world altogether. So remote and intense she was. So high they were climbing. So strange and uncanny was the light that bathed them. And she's just having a minute. Having a bit of a minute. Mm, she has a couple of minutes. She does, doesn't she? Also, do you think that it says so high they were climbing? Do you think it's something to do with the air as well? Like the oxygen levels? Oh, it's probably getting pretty thin, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess like they are pretty steep peaks that they were headed towards, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Because then that makes sense for a little bit later on where she says it feels like the bears were carrying and carrying her into another world. And also think how, like, delirious and exhausted and just absolutely done she is. And it mm. all kind of makes sense. I think altitudes can make you quite sleepy as well, which is probably why she's in this weird, like, trance-like state while she's riding with Yorick. She asked him a bunch of questions, which just seem not really relevant but i'm fine with it i feel like she kind of knows that they're about to say goodbye so i think that she wants yeah. to check up on like lee and the wit and the witches and seraphina to make sure that he's gonna find them and yeah i feel like she knows it's coming i don't know why yeah but. she just kind of asks the auric if he'll find people if he'll find everyone and if he'll see seraphina and he's just like yes i'll tell them what you did she's like thanks and they just don't talk for a while which is sweet and then yeah she has this odd little daydream of um the bears carrying her to a city in the stars which is all very linked to this whole like city in the sky thing as well like she's headed towards azrael whose ambition is to like go to the city in the sky she is physically being carried by a bear in a lot of ways she's not wrong Um, yeah 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 true true and then Yorick stops because he can't go on. He's too big for the track now. So we've come to like a crevice that's got like a bridge going across it, like a really thin bridge. And you can tell that somebody has already been across it because it's got Asriel's sledge tracks on it. And it's really, it just looks a bit flimsy, basically. you can When Asriel's gone across it, it's kind of moved, it's cracked and it's moved down a little bit. Um, so obviously it would, 
carry Lyra's weight, but not Yorick's. And then this is in the TV show. It seems fine in a book, but then in the TV show, I was like, hmm, this is a bit convenient that Yorick can't get across. But like when you're reading it in a book, it makes more sense. Also, I was like, this is the perfect rickety bridge, broken bridge. Absolutely. Like movie tv moment and i've made a list of things that i could think of that have these moments the the first one that came to my brain was um there's two actually i'll say the first two and then i'll let you do your list uh emperor's new groove yes that's on my list yeah and shrek yes that's on my list (laughs) well done i also added monty python Mm -hmm. one of the monty python films has a bit with the rickety bridge um i can't remember which one because i didn't write it down uh kung fu panda they have like an epic fight on a bridge that's falling apart (laughs) of course i'm like quoting these really highbrow films why are you even asking (laughs) indiana jones and the temple of doom that has it george of the jungle oh my god (laughs) lord of the rings fellowship of the rings a bit with the balrog and they're like you shall not pass that's all on a bridge that like falls away um ice age they have like an ice bridge an ice age that collapses um there's a whole bit in Lost with a bridge that mm. collapses with the TV show. Uh, there's like two episodes of Doctor Who where it happens. And uh, it really brought to mind for me, the Terry Pratchett book Carpe Jugulum has a bit with Granny Weatherwax having to cross like a really thin bridge over a gorge with running water and it's really difficult because she's a witch. Mm. And there's like a superstition that witches can't cross running water. There was one that came to my brain, and again, I don't, I don't know how accurate it is, but it made me think of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So there's an episode where I think she's doing some like trials or like tests for the witches' council. She might be on trial, and she has to do like certain, she has to complete tasks to save. Is it to save Harvey? So a bit, or it might be a dream. Anyway, she's like Harvey is like on the other side of this like big. It's like a hellscape and he's on the other side of this big mm. fucking crevice with like a rickety bridge and he's like, I liked it because he's, he's the damsel in distress and she has to save him. Yes. I think. Maybe I just made it that way in my brain. But anyway, Brilliant. he's all like <laughs> captured on the other side and she has to get to him and I think there's like a rickety bridge in between. And now I'm trying to think of other rickety bridges and like the... It's such a classic trope. Yeah. But then when I started trying to think about it, I realised that I was struggling to think of a lot of them because it feels like it happens in like so many like epic adventure stories where it's like it's the thing that either separates the party because the bridge breaks with one person part way over or it's like the moment even in like one of the more recent like tomb raider films where there's like a plane crashed across a um like a moving like river and she has to like traverse this like plane it's such a thing of like something is dividing where you need to get to and you have to cross yeah. this like rickety thing to get there. I just thought of another one, but I don't think mm-hmm. it's a bridge. Um, It's Ace Ventura when nature calls and he's doing the little zip line with the monkey right at the beginning. His little monkey uh, and the monkey falls. <laughs> oh, it's not a bridge there, but it's still a Yeah, thing. it's quite, it's used a lot in stuff and I'd love to know what like the original thing is or yeah. whether it's just this like epic image that we all have kind of instilled in us because it's used so often in like heroes tales Mm. of like this like feat of bravery and like it's so significant of like there's you know your goal between you and your goal is this like this challenge that is so life-threatening and so precarious and it's using this like leap of faith and all of these different things in order to get through the courage and the bravery and it just 
it's such a trope, but it just works so well. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, there's a reason a- it's iconic. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just thought of another one. Uh, the newest Jumanji with, like, The Rock and Kevin Hart in it and shit. Oh, my God, yes. There's a, there's one in there. Ah, uh-huh. if you think, listeners, if you can think of any more tweeters at HGM Let's make Pod. a list. Let's compile a list Yay. together. Because I really enjoy trying to think of them because it's also one of those things where it's really... I did also see if I could Google it to find, like, the original iconic moment. But, like, it's obviously might not be a thing. Um... It's surprisingly hard to Google it to find like <laughs> definitive lists of like yeah, yeah, yeah. all films that have rick- rickety or unstable bridges in them. And it's like, I feel like it's such a trope that's so iconic through loads of things that why, why isn't there a definitive list for me to refer to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, do tell us if you have any more, dear listeners. We would love to, love to hear them. Okay. So... Before Lyra tries to cross the bridge, she has a beautiful, heartfelt farewell oh, with Yorick. Bye, Bear Dad. Bye, Bear Dad, indeed. Ugh. She thanks him for all that he's done for her. She says she doesn't know what's going to happen. She's like, oh, we might all die, whether I get to him or not. But if I come back, I'll come and see you to thank you properly, King Yorick Bernison. Uh. And... He's just like, goodbye, Lyra Silvertongue. Oh. And it's just, it's lovely. She's kind of like acknowledging that the farewell is too short because she says that if she can, she'll come back to him. Yeah. And it's just, you do, it's got a very final farewell impression. Definitely. To it. Yeah. We've had a lot of, um, well, we've had a few kind of final farewell impressions in this book. Like when she left Varda Corum and John Farr, that felt very final. And mm. then this, like, this kind of feels final. Although I hope it isn't. Yeah, it's nice that she's given the opportunity to say goodbye to the people that she loves. Apart from like, Lee she obviously. <laughs> Bye, Lee. Oh, Lee. <laughs> I forgot about Lee. Just in his balloon. Bye. Oh. <laughs> it's fine. She's passed the message on to Yorick. Yeah. No, it's nice that she's given some of those moments because she is so frequently dragged from situations. Um, Like, she didn't get to say goodbye to the Egyptians when she was, like, kidnapped to go to Bolvanger, but she was able to shout from the balloon to them at the end of Bolvanger to let them know she was safe and say thank you. And, like, I think it's nice that she has some levels of closure on some of the relationships that she's moving away from or being taken away from. Totally, totally. She said her goodbyes to Yorick and she steps out onto the bridge and it creaks under her, which is fucking terrifying. This is horrendous. So scary. So scary. And like Pan flies to the other side to like stand there and cheer her on. And I kind of just thought to myself, how fucking annoying would that be? That like part of you is on the other side and you can't get there. I'd be so mad about it. I'd be like, oh, this is so frustrating. Pan's such a show off. (laughs) I know. She's thinking... Should she leg it or tread carefully? And I would, I don't, like, I always think this, you know, when you're on, like, it makes me think of, like, when you're walking over ice or whatever, and it's, like, a bit precarious. What is the best way to do it? Would you just leg it or would you, like, tread super carefully? It's difficult. Yeah, there there probably isn't a best way, but I always think to myself. I guess you always test your footing, right, at yeah. first. Like, if you're going to walk onto, like, an icy lake or like on onto a precarious bridge you're gonna check it first yeah because there's no point like charging on but okay if it's a rope bridge 
like the film tropes a lot of the time, like the rickety rope bridge, like in Shrek, I'm going slowly and I'm testing my footing as I'm going along. Yeah. If it's like the rock bridge, like in Lord of the Rings, where it's very much like a big, it's almost like an, a viaduct or an aqueduct kind yeah. of like big rock thing, or like an ice thing, like Lyra's going over now. I think I'd like test my footing at first and then like try and shuffle across as fast as I can. But I wouldn't yeah. like run because I think the impact would be the thing that would mm. knock it down. I'd like, I'd scoot, I'd scoot it. Scoot <laughs> it. it doesn't yeah, really yeah. work iconically for movies, does it? But I'd, I'd scoot my way along. Scoot it, I think. yeah. <laughs> I think that I'd like, it It would depend on whether there is any kind of handle. Because like, if you think of the rickety bridge trip, it's usually got like a rope handle, like not handle, you know what I mean, either side. And one of them will probably break, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you can tread carefully using that to help you like balance. It depends. And then for like the one in Lord of the Rings and this one that Lyra's on, it depends I suppose it depends how wide it is. Cause like if it's super thin, you'd have to go you'd have to go slow, otherwise you'd fucking fall down anyway, you'd fall off the side. Yeah. But like if it's quite wide and you're able to like shuffle or run, then Maybe I would. With it being, is, do we do we think it's icy or snowy? I guess it's a bit of both, I, right? It's like icy and then snow. Yeah, on top. I I kind of pictured I pictured snowy in my head because it doesn't sound like it's slippery. Yeah, because that would be my worry if it was slippery and have to like mm, shuffle totally. shuffle across. Because yeah. if you're running and you slipped off the side, devastated. I mean, what? yeah. Also, I always imagine things like this in video games. I can't do them because I'm I'm very I'm not very good with a controller. I'm a bit inept. So like I just fall off the side of things. I just got fucking flashbacks to when we spent six hours trying to get do that level in Crash Bandicoot, <laughs> and it's the it's the level. Can you remember? It's a level where it's on a rope like, bridge, John, right? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's called Road to Ruin. I think it was six hours we spent trying to do that. You spent. I I think I tried like one time, and everyone was just like, "There's no point ever letting Rachel touch the remote again, <laughs> like the controller again. Like she can't have it." <laughs> We, yeah, just it does, yeah, it reminds me of that as well. But then, like, add in like wild balls and shit, which are in that level, and oh. yeah. Fortunately, Lyra doesn't have to contend with any of that. Yeah, but halfway along, it does do a little crack and shift because she is going slow at first. It's just fucking traumatic. Basically, yeah, she is taking a step, a step at a time, and then she feels something shift, and she just kind of goes for it and she like leaps with all of her strength and like lands on her belly in the snow and the entire length of the bridge falls into the crevasse with a soft whoosh which is yeah terrifying for some reason the fact Absolutely. that it's not loud makes it scarier almost because it's just such a subtle disappearance yeah that's what also makes me think it's snow because if it was ice it would be heavier and louder but yeah she's over there there's no way back there's no way back now the bridge is gone. No going back. Past the point of no return. Phantom of the Opera style. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She uh, raises a hand to Yorick and he, he stands on his hind legs and then this makes me it makes me think of that video of that bear waving. <laughs> yes. Rich just did a really good impression of it. I love that bear so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm like, do you think he waved? I hope he waved. I hope so too. Oh. And yeah, he turns and head, heads back to the other bears and then Lyra's completely alone. And then that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. What a short little chapter. Yeah. Short and sweet. The next chapter is called The Bridge to the Stars. Another mm. bridge for Lyra. She's not got a good Another track bridge. record with these yeah. bridges. <laughs> oh, and it's the last chapter. 
Oh my god. Yeah. Can't believe we made it. We've made it and I've only lost one page. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. This chapter, despite the fact that Lyra had an epic and iconic bridge moment, not a lot happens no. that I feel is super relevant. It's one of those chapters where basically what we want to happen is for Lyra to catch up with Roger and rescue him. Mm. But we have to wait until next week for that. Because, yeah. and it's just annoying. It's one of those chapters where it's like, it's just short enough that you know that Philip could have made this one long chapter to finish the book, but he wanted to like punch you with two short chapters at the end. And yeah. like, I just want yeah. to know what happens next. <laughs> yeah, right. It's basically, it's just set, setting us up for the end, right? It's just the penultimate chapter. It's tying up like loose ends. It's getting Lyra from one place to another to where she needs to be and to make sure there's no way back. So she has to go on. And then, yeah, that's it. That's it, really. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's not my favourite chapter, but it serves a purpose. It does. And also, poor Lyra and Pan, alone again. Yeah. It's kind of like, I guess it's pretty iconic for, like, the end of the book, is having your heroine back out on her own, ready to, like, f- you know, have her final boss moment or wherever it yeah. is. It's Big um, bad. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm not ready for it to be over. I know. I know, me neither. Do you have an award to give out this week? I do, and you're going to be mad about it. Okay. (laughs) It's Thorold. I just feel like... I just feel like he tried his best. And Lyra shouted at him. And it made me feel sorry for him. And I feel like he's doing the best he can with what he's got. And he's probably, like, I'm projecting so much onto him, but he's probably toying a lot with his diversion to Azrael. And that must be difficult to, to like, go against the person that you've spent however many years with and served for how many years. Fair enough. So. He gets an award for doing the bare minimum <laughs> moral <laughs> thing to do. Let the kid get kidnapped, uh... but then tell their friend after the fact. Oh... <laughs> uh fine whatever it's fine i'll allow it (laughs) no i do i get where you're coming from i do feel a little bit bad for him but i just i just expect more you know (laughs) i i i love that you expect more i love it you should always expect more speaking of which i am obviously giving my award to yorick again because he always goes above and beyond he wanted to stay fighting with his bears he's an armored bear he wants to be in the fight but no he takes lyra as far as he can physically take her yeah he was like straight on it the moment she said she needed him he was like yep let's go like no questions asked Mm -hmm. yes i want an armored bear on my side oh me too so much yeah also, right. I feel like this is maybe the last time we'll see him, so maybe I won't uh, give Don't do that to me. Oh my god. Yeah. Don't say that. I said it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at her.materialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. 
I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faye, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art, and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at Rachmakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. A huge thanks, as always, to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in a week's time for the last time in Northern Lights. And don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well. Ultimate goodbye. Oh, God, bye. Bye. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>